Welcome, gentlemen and ladies, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss the uh, October 1979 issue of X-Men on sale July 17th of 1979, issue 126, titled How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth. There's a line from Shakespeare. Yes, Bones, I remember it. How sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. Indeed, Captain. Laying a course for Starbase 21. All ahead, warp two. Ooh. And the cover of this one features, well, all of the X-Men save Banshee busting through a metal wall. And the text below them says in search of mutant x perhaps banshee is mutant x that could be this cover reminds me of giant size x-men number one kind of i suppose because they're tearing through something this is also the same cover oops that they that they uh, use for the marvel masterworks volume four this is yeah this is kind of a semi-iconic sort of cover yeah, I mean, of all the covers that go in this batch, this is probably probably the more standalone one, I suppose. This is a Cockrum Austin cover, for those who are not aware. <laughs> for those of you following along at home, well, that's about all. I mean, Storm's blasting away, Cyclops is blasting away, and the rest are just kind of ripping and tearing. It's true. So we go inside the book, and we see that it is authored by Chris Claremont, penciled by John Byrne, inked by Terry Austin, Tom Orzachowski is lettering, Glennis Ween is coloring, Roger Stern is editing, and Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. And you mentioned last episode uh, that you wanted to track the separation of co-plotting and, and whatnot. So here's the second issue in a row where John, uh, John Byrne is only credited as the penciler. I did notice that. <laughs> so there you go. And I looked ahead, but I won't I won't spoil it. Okay, good. I can't wait. I like to discover these things on my own. <laughs> so what we get is a full page splash screen of the blackbird zooming across the ocean and almost knocking some people on a boat over. Apparently it is quite thunderous as they are breaking the uh they're they leaving in their wake several sonic booms. Yes. They're breaking the sound barrier, I guess. And the guy on the boat, the boat's named Audrey 2, by the way. You think that's a call to, like, Little Shop of Horrors? What was the name of, uh... The plant's name was Audrey 2. And it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the Rick Moranis one, because that one didn't come uh, until later. It would have been the Roger Corman one. Was, when, was it a stage play before it was a movie? Oh, probably. So who knows? Yeah, <laughs> who knows indeed. But anyways, the guy on the Audrey 2, he's he's mad. Oh, my MP will hear about this. Whatever an MP is. Master of production. Sure, why not? <laughs> Most prized. And so the X-Men are all aboard the Blackbird, and Sean's pointing out that the people on the boat didn't look very happy. Well, they almost knocked the boat over. Hi, but she's all right now. Good. Action stations, X-Men, we've almost reached Mir Island. Shoot, we left New York barely an hour ago. Didn't even wait for the beast like he asked. 
I don't like the beast Wolverine. <laughs> I've grown beyond him and his antics. No, in fact, like Lab says, there just wasn't time. They had to go. They don't know what they're getting into, but uh, it's of utmost important that they get to Mirail as soon as possible. Colossus jumps out of the ship, crashing into the uh, mutant research center, and discovers no sign of hostility. They're going to do this one by the numbers, just like they practiced. When did they practice this? They We just learned that they didn't have any time. They didn't have enough time to wait for Beast. How could they practice all this? They practiced this very scenario in the danger room so many times. It's amazing. <laughs> the other thing I, want, I find interesting is the cockpit of the Blackburn. It's only got a seat for a pilot, but no seat for a co-pilot. So it's basically like Wolverine's up there by himself, which is just weird. And that'll change in future iterations of the Blackbird. Interesting. It, yeah. And did you know that they don't call it a Blackbird anymore? They call it an X-Jet? Hmm. I don't like that. Do you, do you think there's a reason for that? I don't know. No idea what the reasoning would be. But anyways, Storm uh, Storm takes Wolverine and they fly out of the bottom hatch of the Blackbird as well. They're going to take them, they're going to flank them. You left my stomach back on the flaming plane. Our friends are in danger, Wolverine. We cannot afford to waste even an instant. Cyclops does a nice vertical landing and has Nightcrawler uh, bamf over into the, into the living room, I guess. Teleport into the residence and search it from attic to cellar. Not to worry, Cyclops, I'm bamf. Already there. It's a nice panel where the left side is uh, Cyclops in the cockpit and Banshee in the uh, cockpit. And on the right side between the Banff is uh, the basically the living room or kitchen of uh, the residence. So, I don't know. It's kind of a neat effect that I don't think they really use all that often. Yeah. I like it. It's cool. So, they land. Banshee points out that Cyclops is pushing awful hard. <laughs> That's what she said. Um <laughs> You didn't hear Lord of D. Dane scream over the phone, Sean. I've never heard such raw terror. And then a moment later, the line went dead. That was over an hour ago. A lot can happen in that much time. And I'm going to stand here with posing, looking at the building. <laughs> look at me. I'm cool. He does look like Luke Skywalker staring at the two sons of Tatooine. He's got his hands on his hips. <laughs> He's got his legs spread. And he calls up to, uh, well, actually, he gets a message from Nightcrawler telling him to come at once. He has found something. What's on Banshee's, like, uh, belt there? Is it, like, some sort of gun? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It does kind of look like a swashbuckling pistol of some kind, but it's really long. Yeah. It goes from his hip, basically, to his knee. I don't know what that is. I'm sure he'll use it, this issue, and we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> So they, uh, Banshee and Cyclops jump into the, uh, I guess the dining room it is. There's some dishes in there in a hutch. And they see Nightcrawler uh, over a man who is covering Lorna Dane. Right. Nightcrawler actually calls them into the, uh, into the room. Mm -hmm. And the man that is lying on top of Lorna Dane is withered and dead. It's, I found, I found the man's wallet. It's Angus McWhorter. And somehow Cyclops knows who that is. McWhorter, the scat that skinflit hated the X-Men's guts. What was he doing here? And well, how he, do I know that? Well, he knows it because this is the guy from, like, issue 98 or 99 when they rented the hovercraft. 
Yeah, but how does he know he hates the X-Men's guts? Well, I mean, because the guy's like, I'm going to keep your money and I'm not going to rent you the hovercraft or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. It is kind of a leap of, like, that is kind of pompous of him to be like, he's been thinking about us ever since we left that hoverboat incident like two years ago. (laughs) Well, he wouldn't be wrong, I suppose. (laughs) That's why he's the leader, Adam. Okay. He's got good instincts. Lorna's a bit shocky, but she should be all right. Is that is that is that medical terminology there? Shocky? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See he's got his little tricorder that he's using. Or maybe it's an it looks like an iPod. <laughs> it, so he uh, must be like playing her favorite song. Aye, she really likes the Bee Gees. This'll snap <laughs> her out of it, I can just tell. And so Nightcrawler says, Well, maybe this is what she saw on the phone and that's why she screamed. Cyclops tells her to tells Nightcrawler to teleport over to the lab because there's still some people missing. Moira, Alex, Jamie, and Jean. Not to mention whoever did this. Aye aye, Captain. So Nightcrawler must have intimate knowledge of this facility because he's able to teleport in and out and, and across walls and such like that. Yes. Plus he studied the blueprints on the way over. Gotcha. Okay. Well, Banshee reminds us all that he does not have use of his sonic scream, so he's not much use, so he'll just keep watch over Lorna. And this actually kind of reminds me, did you ever play Resident Evil? Uh, one of them. Not not the first few, but I've played one of them. The very first one, uh, the stars team goes into the mansion, and I can't remember anybody's name, but there's a woman and a man, and the woman, if you play as the woman, like the woman and the man go in, and the man's like, I'm going to uh, inspect this body. And then for like the, not the rest of the game, but for like the next two thirds of the game, you can't, you, like he doesn't help you. He's just like, like studying the body. And that's what <laughs> this kind of reminds me of. Cause I don't think we see Banshee ever again. Maybe we do. Well, we do. Okay. Not for a while. He does point out that he's not much use and therefore he will keep watch over Lorna. Uh, Cyclops thinks to himself, it's been months since Banshee's injuries back in X-Men number 119. Uh, has it has it really been months? Because that happened in Japan when yeah. uh, Banshee lost his voice. What happened, so, to, what happened after Ban- uh, uh, Japan? Well, they went to Canada and then they uh, and then they got back to the States. Arcade. Uh, yeah, the arcade adventure. Arconians. And, so it's been like months since that happened, and again, it's the whole, like, they never contacted Moira. Right, right, exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, Banshee's cooped up, his throat hurts, he's probably feeling his uh, mortality, you know, caving in on himself. Like, maybe maybe now would be a good time to try to reach out to Lorna. I do miss that lass. Moira. What did I say? Lorna. Well... He's he likes he's got he's got a fancy for all the Muir Island women. <laughs> all right. Well, anyways, Storm, pick me up. So she okay. does. She picks up Cyclops and they go flying towards the lab. Night, night meanwhile, Nightcrawler is climbing through complete darkness because the uh, the power is out in the lab, and then all of a sudden somebody blasts at him with a. Shazak! Freeze! And he's wondering, uh, well, yeah, I guess prior to that, he's noticing that all the circuits are blown, and he's wondering, who's got the power to do that? Lorna or Magneto? Why why does he put uh, Lorna in there? Because she's also a um, 
Master of Magnetism. Oh, yeah, all right. And uh, so Nightcrawler is now in the shadows, and, and here he kind of says, like, uh, well, he's, at first he says, Havoc, don't, don't shoot me, it's Nightcrawler. And Havoc's like, I don't believe in ghosts. You're dead, I saw you die. And so... Well, he didn't see him die. He wasn't there. Well, that's tr- that's true. I heard you were dead. I heard. You I were overheard dead. you were dead from Jean. Good point. She talks about you specifically all the time. <laughs> None of the other X Men, just you. Uh, but he also says, like, he still thinks we're dead, and the corridors are too dark. Be- uh, I become near invisible in these deep shadows. So it's as if he can't even control his kind of shadow power there. Which is weird because in the previous two panels he says he's in complete darkness, but we can see him perfectly fine. <laughs> That's a good point. And Havoc can also see him clearly because he shoots at him. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Well, he can't see him clearly because he doesn't recognize him as Nightcrawler. He just recognizes him as an intruder. Wow. Shoot first, ask questions later, Havoc. Wow. I mean, there's some crazy dude running loose. Yeah, like an hour ago. (laughs) Well, this is why Havoc is not part of a mutant team right now, because he just doesn't have good senses. (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, right. So as soon, uh, he's about to blast Nightcrawler away, but then he's grabbed by somebody with metal arms. Who is that? I don't know. Spiral? <laughs> well, it kind of looks like it on the next panel. But he says, you may be strong, pal, but let's see that strength save you from the cosmic power of Havoc. I have faced your energy blast before, my American friend, and withstood them. Oh, Colossus, you're alive? Why does he believe Colossus is alive, but not <laughs> Nightcrawler? I guess maybe he just didn't see Nightcrawler. Yeah. So when did he face his energy before? Was there? A... You know, I was wondering that myself, but I don't, I don't think it's actually ever happened, unless it happened in giant size. Hmm. Danger Room, maybe? That's the only time I've ever, like, it was only in the first two issues that they, they met each other. Yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, Storm and Cyclops are inspecting the lab corridors when they see a woman's shadow who looks suspiciously suspiciously like Moira McTaggart, but they don't know who it is. Yeah, well, maybe in comic book land it looks like Moira McTaggart, but maybe in like real life land it's moving too fast to recognize. Oh, okay. That woman's shadow with the bob haircut, it's coming to get us! Who could it be? <laughs> Storm says, It's best not to take chances. I'll use my elemental powers and blow her around the corner into our arms. That seems like a terrible plan. What if this guy's made out of knives? <laughs> <laughs> or or flames or flaming knives. And, well, anyways, it's Moira, and she gets blown into Cyclops' arms. Boobs first. Oh, my God. They're just like, poink, sticking way out there. Oh, oh, my. <laughs> you are pretty muscular. Uh, oh, ach, Cyclops, Storm, you've no idea how glad I am to see you both alive. We had thought. Ishan, Banshee. Yes, he's taking care of Lorna. What? That two-timing? I'll get him. <laughs> <laughs> and so Cyclops asks where Jean is. Uh, I don't think Moira knows. Mutant X has escaped. I was looking for Jean myself, but with the lights out, this place is worse than the Hampton Court maze. You shouldn't have designed it to be so complicated, Cyclops says. No, I'll find her. Storm, gather everyone together at Moira's house. He thinks to himself how it's not a good idea that he's separating from the team and that normally he doesn't do that, even though it's the usual tactic. (laughs) And uh, he finds Jean. She's lying on the floor. 
in a sort of strange catatonic state. She's alive, but in shock, just like Lorna. Neither of them are pushovers. Whatever hit them must have been pretty impressive. Hold it. She's coming around. A voice calls to her, gently pulling her out of the darkness. Jason, I knew it was you! She smiles, safe, content. For the voice and the face of those of the man she loves. I'm confused. Jason? Like, who? <laughs> who is the one that she loves? Is it Jason or Cyclops? Well, it's Jason. I mean, that's what the caption is saying. For the voice and the face are those of the man she loves. Oh, okay. So the middle three panels are the fade in, fade out, and then Cyclops. So she never sees Cyclops say, Jason. Right. Okay. Uh Let's see. Then the darkness... It's kind of weird that she's in love with uh, Jason Wingard, having only met him once or twice, but... Well, he's so dreamy with his... I mean, I guess he is manipulating her. Yeah. He's everything she could possibly want. Jean has strange taste in men. Oh, yeah, yeah. Although I guess she does kind of dig Wolverine, so... Uh, You know, uh, yeah, well... Wolverine looks somewhat similar to Jason Wingard. Yeah. When the time is right, I want to talk more about that, but but the time is not right. Perhaps Jason Wingard is the perfect, like, meeting of Cyclops and Wolverine. Oh, sure. Calm, polite, but mutton chops and kind of haggard, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Scraggly. So anyways, uh, I guess I don't know what happens between... Gene passing out, and then all of the X-Men meeting in the kitchen for coffee. But there's been no time for Cyclops and Gene to, like, talk. <laughs> there never is. She falls back into sleep, I guess. Mm-hmm. Her dreams are troubled. And then the next scene, it's mid-afternoon. So presumably some time passes. Mm-hmm. Everybody collects their thoughts. Uh, I guess they spend the day scouring the island in vain for a trace of Mutant X, but they don't find him. And that's when they decide to talk to Jamie Madrox, multiple man. Yeah. And he gives a little bit of a story about what happened. There was an alarm. And so when the alarm went off, he created a squad of duplicates. The duplicates went to cover more ground. And then Mutant X caught one of the duplicates. And he suddenly felt as his soul was being torn out of him. Yeah. So we presume that. He killed the duplicate. Oh, we're told. Lorna says, you did your best. You did your best last. Your duplicate sacrifice saved Lorna's life. Moira would know, though. Well, I mean, she's out and out saying, like, your your, your duplicate died. Yeah. And we see it later. I mean, (laughs) not to bury the lead. But anyways, my question is this. So if multiple man can just create all these duplicates of himself and then he can have a duplicate killed... I don't know. That's like creating mass out of nothing, and that's not possible. I've I've taken physics. <laughs> but have you taken mutant physics? No, but it seems like, you know, in order for this power to be, like, believable, every – I think I've even mentioned this in the Fantastic Four annual number four, but every time he creates a duplicate, like, he should be weakened by that much. So if he creates two of himself, he's half as weak. If he creates four of himself, he's a quarter of his strength. Etc. And if one of those dies, then he's never quite, he can't ever quite be whole again. That's how I would write the character, anyways. Well, perhaps as we develop the character of Jamie Madrox throughout the years, I mean, he's still around today. Maybe, yeah. maybe they, maybe they develop that. Okay. Maybe, it, maybe it's more scientific nowadays. I will be honest. Um, uh, other than he's a 
number of X Factor, isn't he? Uh, yes. So I don't know much about him other than what we've really, really what we've just read. So leave it at that. Maybe he's already developed those limitations. We'll see. Although I think they just rebooted X Factor again, so it he may not be a member. I'm not sure. All right. Well, anyways. Wolverine is tired of waiting around, and he ain't getting any younger. Let's get after the sucker. Sit down, Wolverine. We're not going anywhere yet. What's the matter, bub? You scared? Yes! (laughs) (laughs) You know what Gene and Lorna can do when Jamie once held his own against the entire Fantastic Four. All four of them. Yeah, hence their name. (laughs) Yet Mutant X beat them all easily. Not the Fantastic Four, but Gene and Lorna. You get what I'm saying? We have to know who Mutant X is, what his powers are, his strengths, weaknesses, needs, how he feels, and how he thinks. It could make the difference between victory or death, or victory or defeat, life or death. You know I'm right, Wolverine. Futzers. (laughs) Well, Cyclops comes in and he says, actually, there was, it's interesting that this comes up because earlier uh, Moira says, something to uh, Cyclops. He says, oh, Mutant X has gotten away. And Cyclops doesn't say anything. He completely ignores that remark. Rather than being like, Mutant X, what's a Mutant X? Why don't I know about a Mutant X? I don't understand. You shouldn't keep secrets from me. Why do all of you people keep secrets? (laughs) But here we get the kind of of the layout. She says, uh, or he says, first of all, Moira, there's nothing on Mutant X in the files. And Moira says... It's a private matter, Scott. Was a private matter. He's killed Moira. He hasn't killed Moira, but he has killed, comma, Moira. (laughs) He'll kill again. You've got to help us before it's too late. It was too late the day he was born. Who is Mutant X, Moira? He's my son. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. Yep. There you go. Moira gave birth to some creepy mutant dude. <laughs> we cut to Stornaway, a few hours journey away. And uh, we see Mutant Dex. Uh, he's, he's a Jamie Madrox duplicate, and he's hungry, so hungry. He's consuming this shell too quickly. Must find a replacement. And a suitable replacement comes out the door of the... Red Lion in it is Jason Wingard, and that's true. Mutant Dex likes what he sees, but he is unable to overcome him because he has some kind of psychic shield blunting his attack. Well, which explains why Gene is unable to go into his mind. That's a twofer, right? I mean, we get well, that's like a threefer. Like we get a Jason Wingard cameo. We get a little explanation as to why he, why Phoenix can't see her. And, uh, I don't know, J- Mutant Dex tries to take him and it doesn't work. I like that. Must let this prey escape. But I'll take this drunk guy instead. Yeah. There's some uh, local yokel walking around. He's, he's, it's been quite a while since Ferdy Duncan was this drunk. Yep. He knows his wife will read him the riot act the moment he walks in the door. He's wrong. He'll never see his home or wife again. Excellent. This shell is young and strong. It will serve me well. (laughs) (laughs) So 
they wait until dawn, the X-Men do, before they start leaving for to try and find Mutant X. I find it strange that why, why, do, why are they after waiting until dawn? It says that nobody really gets much sleep anyway. Vampires are out at night. Oh. <laughs> I mean, this, this, is Mere, this is Mere Island, after all, Adam. Right, right. <laughs> so, apparently, uh, Moira keeps a fleet of jeeps on the island because they all meet up with four of them. They've been just driving around on their jeeps. <laughs> this is awesome. You know, I've been thinking, maybe we'd get some sleep if we'd stop driving these jeeps all around the island. <laughs> well, uh, so Mutant Dex doesn't register on Cerebro or any other mechanical sensor, so they're just going to have to find him. Do they have like a portable Cerebro? Uh, maybe they called back home and Beast is manning Cerebro. <laughs> maybe there's a second Cerebro in at Muir Island. That would make sense. Actually, that would make sense, sure. So they head off. Uh, looks like Moira goes with Cyclops. Jean flies in one direction. Storm flies in the other direction. And I guess everybody else just drives off in a different direction. But who's teamed up with who? I must know. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, so we get a little bit uh, more background on Mutant X. Uh, he, he was a beautiful baby. He was a beautiful baby, you know. I hate as his father, but I loved him. I still do. When his mutant power emerged, changing him, I tried to find a cure. I failed. Cyclops he... points out that he left uh, Jamie behind to monitor police radio frequencies in case uh, Mutant X turns up, which is interesting because wouldn't he leave uh, Banshee behind, <clears throat> seeing as he's the useless one? Well, either... As we've already pointed out in this issue? Yeah, well, you would either leave um, Banshee behind or Jamie Madrox, one of his duplicates, behind. And Banshee. Yeah, I would think that Jamie would be entirely useful. <laughs> he should be in each one of these cars accompanying him. Yeah, really. <laughs> That's another question about Multiple Man. Like, does he have, like, one central consciousness? Or when he creates a copy, do they have their own independent thought? Ooh, and that could be a storyline of its own. Like, one of them, like develops, you know, becomes sentient and is like, I don't want to be a copy of you anymore. I'm my own man. I bet you that story's already occurred, though. I think they do get into that in Peter David's X-Men run. Oh, they or would X-Factor run. He's a creative dude. He must have come up with something like that. Yeah. Well, Moira also tells us that he's got two fundamental weaknesses, his constant need for new host bodies and metal. It's true. Yeah, last issue there was a gold tooth out in front of uh, his cage or cell or whatever, which came from Angus with McWhorter. Oh, good call. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we flip over to Jean, who's flying around, and uh, apparently Mutant Dex is invisible to her telepathic powers as well. Um, she also mentions that something seems to be different about Scott. Different vibes. He seems uh, confused. He's changed, though, grown, and she thinks she's glad, um, but she wonders how that will affect them. She should, re she should really ask about Colleen. <laughs> so I was reading your mind, you know, like I do. <laughs> What's a Colleen wing? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, baby. What's a Jason? <laughs> I think we've got some talking to do. Well, off in the distance... Jason Wingard is, uh, well, peeping on Jean, I guess. Spying on her with some binoculars. 
The X-Men are out in force. Heaven help whoever they're after. In so many ways, Phoenix is the most powerful X-Men, yet also the most vulnerable. Jason Wingard smiles. And for the second time in as many days, Phoenix's world suddenly goes decidedly mad. She gets transported back to the 18th century where she is riding a horse with Jason Wingard. And they're on some sort of hunt. Yeah, they're on a hunting party. Uh, Gene's horse's name is a black horse. Apparently his name is Satan. Whoa, Satan! Whoa, Satan! Whoa! Which is weird. Uh, Sir Jason, the dogs! So I guess the dogs have caught their prey. And uh, so Jason jumps off, kind of kicks the dogs aside, and hands Gene a dagger to finish off the prey. But Jason says, it was... A master stroke of yours suggesting we hunt a man playing the role of a stag rather than the animal itself. A man? And uh, she, she, well, she says that she wanted, she, she, she snaps out of this uh, thing and she says that she actually wanted to kill him. So she kind of is embracing this whole thing that it's her idea and she's kind of embracing this idea that, uh, she is Lady Jean Grey, who is kind of messed up. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So it's interesting. Yeah. But she discovers that the body, as she comes to, is an actual body, and that it's the uh, well, we recognize it as the drunk, uh, whatever that guy's name was. You know what? I didn't. Ferdy Duncan. Yeah, I didn't actually recognize that, but that makes totally that makes total sense as to what's about to happen next. And what happens next is Nightcrawler and Wolverine were paired together, and Wolverine's been chasing Ascent. Um, but Nightcrawler wants to go back because Phoenix found a mummified body like McHorter's. But Wolverine, he don't care. He's following Ascent. How could he have gotten from there to here so quickly? It's ten miles away. His nose doesn't lie. And to answer your question, he's getting around the same way we are. In a car? What the... Hold it, laddie. So the, there's been some fog that has uh, risen up, and out of the fog, there is a policeman in a police car. A cop. Where'd he come from? I should have spotted his scent. Hey, we've been tracking a lone car. A lone man in a car. Whoever said Mutant X couldn't zap a cop? Crawler! Trouble! <laughs> Wolverine is a deducer. Yeah. He's a detective, just like Batman. Yeah. <laughs> And Mutant Dex is like, incredible, you've seen through my deception, but that will not do you good. Spare yourself, needless pain, little man. This will be over before you know it. And he starts to take over Wolverine's body in the same way that he takes, he's taken over everybody's body. But then suddenly Wolverine screams. And dimly Wolverine registers that it wasn't really he who screamed, but Mutant X, that the rogue mutant is fleeing his body in a near panic. Metal! This X-Man's full of metal! Early and deadly to me! And then Wolverine says the pretty definitive, the most definitive thing he's said so far about himself. It ain't just metal, sweetheart. I got a skeleton made of about three billion bucks worth of adamantium. But if you think my bones are deadly, get a load of my claws. Snick it. Million. You said billion. Did I? Adjusted for inflation, it's probably yeah, billion. Okay. But, exactly. But, 
Nowadays, it would, it's probably worth a billion. Yeah, but back in that day, those days, it was three million bucks worth of adamantium. Finally, unbreakable bones. They're not. They're they're actually. I think he says made of about three million bucks worth of adamantium. So they're not laced yet, but we're getting there. Yeah, I mean, this is like we've gotten all these pieces, and now he's just saying it all in one panel. Yes, finally. Nightcrawler drives the Jeep over. Didn't really seem like he was that far away before, but it looks like he's quite a ways away now. Yeah, he 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 drove a different way. He was like, oh, I think I hear something over there. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll turn around and we'll see what's going on. Wolverine, why are you chasing that police officer? <laughs> are you insane? Stay out of this elf. He'll just get in the way. So... He tells uh, Nightcrawler to tell Cyclops that they've got Mutant X uh, cornered, and they're, they're, he's about to put Mutant X out of action permanently. Mm. And that's, I think uh, not. You call me Mutant X, but I've got a better name. I am Proteus, the mutant who masters reality. So Mutant X now has a name. It is Proteus. And he messes with... Wolverine and Night Nightcrawler's reality kind of turns them into like a uh, a Dali painting or something where every, they're all like melty and uh, Wolverine's claws are all liquefied and pieces of them fall apart. My body, it's breaking up and drifting apart. Is this really happening or is it all in my mind? And he's like several pieces of liquid kind of floating Wolverine's hunched over in a fetal position um, in one panel, which I think might be reality. But in the next panel, he's all warped and his body's bent in wrong direction. He's all disproportioned, basically. Apparently, it's a much worse uh, effect for Wolverine because he relies so much on his senses and now they're all lying to him. So he's messed up. Yes. And a lot of more wacky stuff happens between the two of them. Nightcrawler does his best to reassure his friend, unaware that thanks to Proteus, Wolverine perceives his words as drops of orange rain. Oh, and that's important because that's where classic X-Men will, will take on. Yeah. But anyways, uh, yeah, so Proteus says, I need to practice in the use of my ability to warp the very fabric of reality. You do X-Men make fitting guinea pigs. <sighs> Away from them, monster! Well, Storm lives, you'll harm no one. Her attack is savage and catches Proteus completely by surprise and whatever. And she doesn't want to kill Proteus because she, you know, is still a living being. So she she destroys his car so that he can't get away. But the explosion does burden him a little bit. You'll pay for that, witch, and he uh, messes with her reality, forcing her to. Fly straight down into the ground. Oh, yeah. Straight down on the ground. But to her, it's like she's sideways and upside down. Right. But, yeah, because it's all just like she's just uh, confused and discombobulated. Yeah. I mean, I guess I I guess uh, I admire her thing with this whole life that's going on here with not wanting to hurt or kill him. But this man's already killed like four or five people. Somebody should stop him. Don't you think? Yeah, well, you know, that's that's the superhero dilemma. <laughs> I guess. If somebody has killed, is it okay to kill? I don't know. Not for Batman. Oh, that's a good point. So he 
uh, Proteus, that is, says that he can't take over uh, Wolverine and uh, Nightcrawler's no good because he, of his appearance. It's worthless. But Storm is perfect. And she realizes that she her her ankle is, or her shoulder is sprained and she knows she can't fly because he'll just make her smash into the ground again. And she's too weak to generate lightning. So she blows 100 mile an hour winds at Proteus, which is pretty pretty intense. Yeah. I'm surprised that he's able to uh, stand against that. And so uh, this kind of snaps Wolverine and Nightcrawler out of their, their um, uh, reality warping. And uh, Nightcrawler wants to go help Storm, but Wolverine's like, look at the wind. You just strap down, strap yourself in and hang on. We can't even move, bub. Get under me. So Wolverine straddles Nightcrawler and digs his claws into the ground. Storm's generating a bunch of wind. Proteus approaches towards her, and that's the end of this issue. Ooh, next issue, The Quality of Hatred. Oh, my God. Exciting. It was. It's moving along pretty cool. Yes, it is. Pretty well. All right, well... These are some action-packed issues happening here. Heck yeah, just nice and snappy. A lot of, a lot of swift dialogue, some action, a bunch of story develop, plot developments. Good times. It feels like the X Men have hit their stride again. It kind of felt like they're kind of going off the rails a little bit, not too much, but just a little bit. But now it feels like they're right back on target. So what's next, Adam? Uh, well, next you can. Uh... Let the listeners know all about ways, different ways that they can contact us, communicate with us, let us know how we're doing, send us chopsticks or sushi. All right. Well, in that case, uh, if you'd like to reach out to us and let us know what you're thinking, email us at uh, dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. Follow us at dangerroomgo, or you can go to facebook.com forward slash dangerroompodcast. You could also go to xmenpodcast.com where all of the podcasts are. You can post a comment there or subscribe to the the uh, podcasts that are there. Uh, there's also a bunch of other podcasts and videos there that you can check out as well. And you could uh, you could also call us at 501-GET-X-MEN. And you could go out to iTunes and uh, read some of the reviews out there. Or better yet, leave a review. Um, so yeah, good stuff. We had 53, but now we're back down to 52. Hmm. That's weird. I don't know how those those keep coming and going. Yeah, I figure people just stop using iTunes and maybe they lose their reviews or something like that. Or maybe the people actually are legitimately, like, taking their reviews away. I don't want my review counted anymore on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. So, let's move on. Should we do uh, Classic X-Men now? Classic X-Men number 32. Might as well. All right. Classic X-Men number 32, which is from April 1989, I believe. I think you are correct. I just guess on those at this point. I, I don't actually know. But uh, it was $1.25, I can tell you that much. Yes, it was uh, <laughs> April 1989, and it was on sale December 27th of 1988. You're way more prepared than I am. I just did that right now. Nice. This one features um, Nightcrawler and Wolverine. To me, they look like they're all underwater. Uh, Storm's also in here, but I think that this is supposed to be the 
reality warping of Proteus. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I think they are supposed to, we're supposed to realize that they're not really underwater, but they're made to, they're made to believe that they're underwater. So it's kind of, uh, surface surface drowning oh well maybe maybe i don't know because like the the things that are streaking out of wolverine look like it could potentially be his adamantium leaking out of him because you'll see one of his claws is melting that's true and those same streaky things there's more just bubbles coming out of nightcrawler but anyway i mean it's it's a serviceable cover yeah it's good it's It's, uh i don't know if i'd go as far as good it's it's okay it's a cover by steve lytle it's interesting Storm's legs are very muscular. Yes. Inside we get, uh, it's this, the story that we're going to read is called Shreds of Humanity, which is written by Anne Nocenti and drawn by John Bolton, lettered by Joe Rosen and colored by Glynis Oliver. And we get a the inside front cover kind of shows us this picture of uh, Ellen Ripley as she's hunting down. <laughs> Newt, where are you? I don't Get know. away from her, you biatch. <laughs> Is this supposed to be Moira? Yeah, I think it's Moira in the dark. Okay. Okay. I mean, I like it. It's a good image, but it's just like, I didn't know what, what context it was supposed to be in. But anyways, uh, and this is a, it's a, this is also a Steve Lytle image. Yes, it is. So this issue, now, I have. Oh. I would like to point out before we even start this story titled "Shreds of Humanity" that it doesn't fit into the continuity. Oh yeah, yeah. It's sort of. I mean, I, I really wanted it to. I okay. But when we get there, I'll explain. Okay, I look forward to it because, to me, this looks like it takes place between two different panels. There's the panel where. Uh, the words coming from Nightcrawler are like orange tears. And then there's another panel. And then there's a third panel, which is Storm coming to join the battle. So which I agree with you. Uh, that would that would have been awesome if that worked. But okay. It, it doesn't. All right. I look forward to you telling me where it doesn't. Oh, I look forward to telling you. <laughs> so anyways, yes, the full page spread. The, there's realities warping all around them. The Nightcrawler and Wolverine are both disproportioned and bendy all weirdy and and there's some dialogue here about Wolverine's jaw becomes stuck where he dropped it somewhere around his ankles ankles he wonders don't angles usually bend not anymore it's kind of like this silly kind of poetic you know thing we got the the out of his mouth rain orange tears again mm-hmm. it it would it reminds me of like if Douglas Adams were to have been given a shot at the X-Men like mm-hmm. this is kind of like his dialogue sort of there's some other things where Eggs are referred to as breakfast, and I don't know. It's just kind of uh, stream of conscious type stuff, which is, I guess, probably the point. Does uh, Wolverine's jaw start to think about, oh, no, not again? <laughs> I don't know. Probably in um, Douglas Adams's version. Well, anyways, they come back out of this, uh, out of the reality bending. Proteus is like, you had enough. Feeling a bit brittle, stomach in your throat. Backbone made of rubber. <laughs> so one thing that tells you that this isn't maybe in context or continuity is that um, Proteus's demeanor changes. Yeah, he is uh, much more eloquent. Yeah. But I don't have a problem with that. I, there's like a man in the clouds. That's kind of annoying. What are these like weird stares? Well, I think that's the whole reality thing. Like they're 
drifting in and out of reality. There's also a box behind them that's growing a tree out of it. Yeah, I'm not very creative, John Bolton. That's it, all I gotta say. it is kind of like a really lazy alternate or a reality bending panel here. But Wolverine uh, says that he's going to go at and this guy's mine, and he starts walking towards Proteus, apparently very slowly. <laughs> yes. Uh, and it really seems to me like John Bolton f- just phoned this one in. Yeah, it could be. Like the art is just not I, like I understand. There's like the reality bending portion, and that's fine, where it's all wacky and stuff. But when it's not reality bending, it's still not good. But anyways, uh, the whole point here is that uh, Wolverine's making his way to Proteus, and Nightcrawler says, "This is no time to play the tough guy." Which freaks Wolverine out for some reason. This 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 doesn't work for me, but he's like, what? I'm not just a tough guy. It's akin to calling Marty McFly a chicken in Back to the Future number two. What's wrong, McFly? Chicken? (laughs) What did you call me, Griff? Chicken! McFly! Nobody calls me... Chicken. Right. He re- it really irks him and, and and will cause him to ruin his future. <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, he he doesn't like being called a tough guy for whatever reason. Ooh, says Proteus touched a sore spot there. A raw nerve. Should never reveal such things, you stupid brute. Now that I know what button to push, the game gets infinitely more interesting. <laughs> Nightcrawler tries to reason with Proteus, but uh doesn't work. Nope. <laughs> and Wolverine keeps making his way towards Proteus very, very slowly when Wolverine's reality literally shatters. It's like a glass pane that's all broken and stuff. His head is falling off of his body, but like everything around him, including his head, is in shards, basically. In shards. And that's a full page spread you get. Yeah. Next page. And then he totally shatters. Yeah. Falls into a pile of uh, glass. I see you, Wolverine. I see the tough guy. <laughs> <laughs> Wolverine picks himself up. Um, it would have been neater if he had like picked up the pieces of himself and put him back self back together, but <laughs> he doesn't. He just stands up. We didn't have enough panels for that. No. Keep laughing, scum. I'm a few steps closer. Oh, God. It's a strange sensation, as if a vacuum sucked out everything inside, scraped it all away, leaving him empty, burnt inside, black out. And we get kind of like a, I guess, kind of like an x-ray vision of Wolverine, or is he just melting? I don't know what's happening here. I'm not really sure. Godless, soulless landscape reaching out in every direction. You yell and your words stretch like dead telephone wires, limp, desperate, unheard. Man shreds man, no one cares. Every Every heart is gouged, all eyes forced to stare, forever at nothing, no one. You try to stand up to walk and try to fix things, they only get worse. Look at where you are. A spider with eggs, spider with eggs, spider and eggs for breakfast, spider and eggs for breakfast. Ha 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 ha. No, fire, take a step. That twisted stump with your wings. That's your foot. Move it, create, breathe, take steps. It's a kind of interesting panel. It's another full-page spread of Wolverine as like this weird 
spidery creature. With, like, sticks driven through him. Wolverine is still talking about how he's getting closer and closer and closer. Why doesn't Proteus just, like, take a few steps back? Well, maybe he is. Like, <laughs> whenever he goes to one of these full-page cutscenes, maybe Proteus does take three steps back, and Wolverine's like, I, I'm pretty sure I'm getting closer. <laughs> I don't really seem to be making a lot of progress, but I, I know I keep walking forward. So he keeps walking forward, blah, blah, blah. And then yeah, he starts... Yeah, how he makes Wolverine rot from the inside. Yeah. He feels Mr. invulnerable with his self-healing factor that makes him oh so healthy. Oh, how he abuses it. Yeah. Proteus, he's found one paranoid scrap of a thought and he's making it bigger. What's one more pack of cigarettes? 50,000 cigarettes. Prickly black mountains of cigarettes. Enough to spike a nail through a thousand corpses or coffins. Beer. A beer, a burger, red meat, a drink, a smoke. Puff, 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 puff. Looking good. Puff, puff, puff. Oh my God. That's terrible. <laughs> Retching from the stink of your own foul rag and bone body, your flapping flags, shredded flesh, stars and stripes forever. And it keeps going. We get another full page spread, uh, which is kind of a, uh, it's, it's all right. It's very, it's heavily inked. Uh, Wolverine is kind of emaciated. His eyes are falling out. Mm -hmm. And then he turns into, uh, no pips, pips the squeak of the screeching flat faced square headed cartoon of the Wolverine. I'm strong and healthy. Oh, boy, this is awful. This part was weird. Like, the other things I could kind of handle, but this he just turns into, like, a... How would you... Like, it's kind of like anime, but... He's like a Lego man. Kind of, yeah. He's very square and blocky. And apparently, like, this is this is his... This is brave Wolverine. When Wolverine's afraid of something, like, this is his, this is where he goes to blocky Lego Wolverine. I smoke A-bombs, eat bullets, and drink napalm. I brush my teeth with porcupines. I be the biggest, baddest. I'm a man, I'm a man, I'm a man, I'm a man. <laughs> it's like a song. And then Proteus is like, he's getting closer. He keeps taking steps. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I, I should probably back off, but I can't. I'm here, Proteus. I made it. <laughs> and then Wolverine starts stabbing himself and tears himself apart um but then it turns out that he actually stabbed proteus or he slashed him i guess slashed him in the face and slashed him in the chest and that's why this doesn't work for me because oh. wolverine never did that in the other did we ever see this portion of his body when storm comes in well i don't think it, it, <laughs> it makes any sense i i mean I mean, it's not like he kills him. It's basically he just he just swipes at him a couple of times. I mean, I would like to try to give these people who made this backup story some credit to be like, look, if we scrape him on the right side of his body, I guess this would be his left side. Uh, we never saw that in the comic. John Byrne never drew the left side of him. So it's plausible. We can pull this off. I nah. I would hope that, that at least that that conversation occurred. But I'm way too lazy to look back. So I'm not going yeah, to. Yeah, but the fact is that this is a terrible story regardless. <laughs> well, get granted. It's a good idea, but it was poorly executed. So, yeah, Proteus is like, you stabbed me, and now I'm going to destroy you. And Wolverine's like, I don't like being called a tough guy. I had to find something out. I'm not just a tough, tough guy. It goes all the way to the core, and it's called courage. Do your best. You can't hurt me now. 
we'll see, won't we? And Nightcrawler puts his hand on Wolverine's back and says, there, there, little guy. Well, this is weird, too, because now either Proteus has taken, like, five steps back or Nightcrawler yeah. has pulled Wolverine five steps. <laughs> but, I mean, they have to be in this pose because this is where Storm joins in with Nightcrawler and Wolverine kind of, like, uh, facing off with the police officer. And then Storm goes and does her thing. But, but yes, I whatever. Last page or the backup piece here is a john bolton wolverine being all kooky weird and i don't it's like true. it it's kooky it's weird so it's eh. spooky kooky and spooky yeah so i don't know i think yeah i mean they just wanted to re-up or re-emphasize the power of proteus i think well, it was a cool idea. I mean, you know, you got to tell a story. You tell it of something that happens in between two panels. It's neat. Sure. Why not? Just they could have done better. <laughs> well, fellow listeners. I would have been happy if they had just described, like, done an eight-page story of all the stuff that Wolverine and Nightcrawler were going through and not necessarily this whole actually battling Proteus sort of thing. Right. I hear you. I don't know, though, eight pages of Wacky Land, I, I think you need a little bit of reality to kind of give well, some right, right. context. Well, right, right. You know, maybe a mixture of rea- uh, Wacky Land and reality, but make it about the characters. Make it about the interior monologue of Wolverine and Nightcrawler and not this stupid, like, face-off, I'm a tough guy, or I'm not a tough guy. Well, the whole tough guy thing could have been there. It could have been, like, Wolverine digging back into his mind, being like, all my life been called a tough guy. Never had a chance to find out if it was true. And then... Right. That's 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 the first panel or like the big splash panel. And he we go through wacky land and him trying to keep himself together. And then at the end, he basically it's the same story, but you never face yeah. off with Proteus. And he's like, I, I had I exactly have I have except I still guy. would have lost the tough guy crap because like that's <laughs> not Wolverine. <laughs> well, it's not Wolverine anymore. But at this point, I mean, it is. It, well, I guess it never was because this was I'm a not a futzer. Why do you call me a futzer? That's what I call other people. Turns out I am a futzer. <laughs> <laughs> so normally this is where we would leave this uh episode off or, or adam might recount some stories for us but adam i'm having so much fun that i think we should do another one really are you speaking of incredible hulk annual number seven uh, when i think of like something that i would like to do as a backup to the backup i think of something that happened three years previous to what we're currently reading <laughs> And that would definitely be Incredible Hulk Annual Number 7. And actually, for a couple of different reasons. A, because it's actually a pretty good read. And and B, because it ties into my most favorite X-Factor issue ever. Really? It does. And I didn't even realize it until I got to the end. I was like, oh, finally. So this issue is, uh, how old am I now? This issue is like 20 years in the making for me. (laughs) Like, I could have read it at any time, but <laughs> I finally read it. Hooray! So I'm excited. I was I was excited, too. I, I After I read it, I was like, wow, that was actually pretty good. And I was like, Jeremy, you got to read this one. All sorts of wacky stuff happens, but I can't tell you anything. <laughs> and I did read it. So we won't go through the whole thing. I mean, we will go through the whole thing, but we're not going to, you know, we'll, we'll try to speed through it. Give you, the, give you the highlights right there, Adam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, this is The Incredible Hulk, annual number seven, and it features at least two of the X-Men, or two former X-Men, Angel and Iceman, on the cover. 
and uh, John Byrne is penciling. Mm -hmm. does he, he does, yeah, he does do the the cover with uh, Bob Layton inking. He co-plots with Roger Stern, and uh, as I mentioned before, this did come out in 1978, so we're we're jumping back in time a little bit, but this doesn't uh, not too far. Yeah, this doesn't really have. I mean, it has a lot to do with X Men lore of the future, but it doesn't really matter where we read this. No, it doesn't. I can tell you that it takes place in between uh, issue 115 and 116. Okay, sure. And it's actually, I mean, it's essentially, well, that's the thing about all of the Hulk issues that we've read is they're just springboards for other other characters and just happen to feature the Hulk. Well, yeah. I mean, there's only so much you can do with, like, this character. So as a result, you end up adding all these other characters surrounding him. Yeah. So and then having all these cool cameos and I almost want to read all of the Hulks now, but I probably won't because there's a lot of them. Let's do a Hulk cast. <laughs> Hulk cast. Well, anyways, um, yeah. So Warren Worthington is at his, uh, mansion out in the mountains, drinking some tea, watching the TV, and uh, the announcer's like, the Incredible Hulk has turned himself over to the authorities for treatment. Which I guess is tuning into whatever's going on in Hulk currently. Exactly. So finally, Thunderbolt Ross has his, his comeuppance. He's got the Hulk in custody, maybe, we assume. It's actually Doc Sampson. But is Thunderbolt Ross even in this? I think he has a cameo. He has somewhere. like one panel in here. But we can assume that, that, that Ross is involved somehow. But He had something to do with it. Uh, Warren is back together with Candy Southern, uh, which is cool. It's good to have her back. She wasn't in the champions at all. Yeah, I was going to ask. Uh, it seems like this is probably her first uh, first issue since the original run of the X-Men. Yeah. So that's cool. Uh, Bobby is dating a girl named... Uh, Teresa Sue Bottoms. There you... <laughs> really? Yeah. Teresa Sue Bottoms. <laughs> and uh, he wants to know if he can come hang with Angel and Candy. So you found yourself a lady, eh? Sure, come on up. Candy and I'd love to have you. Yeah, Candy Southern. We ran into each other in Socorro and decided to... Uh, do it. I mean, renew our <laughs> friendship. And uh, kind of watching off in the distance of Warren Worthington's house is a man with glowing eyes and a hat. Who is apparently listening in on the conversation. And John Byrne is not afraid to draw muscular men and sexy women. Because Candy, well, she's looking pretty good and she looks like she wants it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've only got a few hours before uh, Bobby and Teresa show up. So they're going to make the most of that time. Mm, let's make the most of them. Meanwhile, at uh, the the base where the Hulk has negotiated his own surrender, Doc Sampson is talking to a uh, newscaster, and then the Hulk bursts out, and he's like, I'm tired of this place. Hulk don't like it here. Hulk and bored. Doc Sampson has to talk Hulk down, and we learn that Doc Sampson is pretty strong because Hulk kind of beats him down to the ground, but he's he survives. Hulk, or I mean, Doc Sampson, uh, isn't he also gamma-affected? Yeah, he is. I yeah. believe... I don't remember what the whole tie-in was. I used to know. Yeah. Well, he's he's definitely he's definitely Hulk related. We, whatever. He's the Doc Hulk Simpson, psychiatrist. I know. Yeah. He's he's Bruce Banner's psychiatrist. But he's also 
muscly and strong. Not as strong as the Hulk, but pretty darn strong. Hence right. the name Samson and the long hair. But yeah. So maybe if you cut his hair off, he becomes not strong anymore. And this other guy, Jim, um, shows up and Jim somehow calms. I don't know who Jim is, but he calms Hulk down. Jim is Hulk's friend. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So whatever. So we're we're definitely in an area where calming Hulk down does not turn him into Bruce Banner. So that's interesting. Nope. In fact, later on, he'll be taking a nap as the Hulk, not as Bruce Banner. So yeah, which you know it happens. The the, uh, the I feel like the, the 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 way that the Hulk works totally depends on the stories they're telling. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, it looks like they're uh, well. Bobby comes back with uh, Terry Sue Bottoms in a champ's craft. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Warren earlier says, like, take the old champion's craft and bring it over. Early the next morning, the custom aircraft, once belonging to the champions, dips down into the New Mexican Rockies for a perfect vertical landing at Chateau Worthington. And that's when we're greeted by a scantily clad scent candy southern and also a shirtless Warren Worthington. Who Terry has got a big crush on. She is, she's all like all about him, and Bobby's like, "Oh, come on!" <laughs> yeah, I, I would be this whole issue. I would be a lot more upset than Bobby appears to be about this whole incident. Like, I'd be like, "We're leaving," <laughs> because she's like, she's not even hiding it. She's like, "Oh my god! Oh, you're you're angel!" Oh. Well, she convinces Warren to put on his. Avenging Angel costume. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, so there's that, that see it. There's that dude climbing down a mountain. He's he's still rustling around uh, uh, outside of Chateau Worthington or whatever this place is called. Is that a gun he's got there? Ah, uh, it looks like it could be a rifle, maybe or or a walking stick. I can't really tell. Mm-hmm. Candy and Bobby are talking, and they're like, Candy's like, eh, whatever. It's just it's just Angel. Don't worry about him. At the end of the day, he's coming to bed with me. <laughs> and Iceman's like, She puts more feeling into that golly that she said when she saw it, Warren's costume than she's put into anything she's ever said to me. And that's when Candy points out that there's some Grizzly Adams-like guy over there, and that doesn't really make her very, feeling very safe or secure. It looks like it's a spear gun. It could be. So over the wall comes this dude who is holding what looks like a spear gun. Uh, and Angel's kind of being a little bit uh, diplomatic. He's like, hey, is there anything we can do for you, buddy? And this guy just shoots at him. And they tell the girls, get, get upstairs and bolt yourselves in. Terry's like, no way. If you're in danger, we're staying. And Kenny's like, shut up. Let's go. <laughs> Haven't you hung with superheroes? Like, they got this covered. Let's just go upstairs. We're only going to get in the boy's way, and we don't have superpowers. And Oh, and, and then this is when Candy says, Believe me, hon, these boys can handle it, especially if Bobby is who I think he is. Uh-huh. Ah, so she's also trying to get Terry out of the way so she doesn't see him reveal himself as Iceman. Maybe that's the case. Oh, it must be the case. I think you're right. Cause... Although at the next panel, Bobby says... Uh, Secret identities be hanged. You could use the Iceman and doesn't really care who's around just transforms into Iceman. But I think by the time we get to the end of this issue, I, I don't think Terry knows that Bobby's Iceman. But How could she not know? Well, we'll go through the issue. Maybe on second reading here we'll we'll find it. Who knows? Let's just keep going. But we find out that 
the man who came over the fence is not a man. It's a robot. He doesn't burst out of the ice, but he does melt it. Yeah, and he's got a... Just like, just like everybody gets out. <laughs> yeah, you can't draw any conclusions based on that because uh, nobody is safe. Or, I mean, anybody can get out of the ice. It's kind of funny. Uh, I've been playing the Marvel Lego superheroes game that just came yeah. out like a month or two ago, and you can play as Iceman, and you freeze people into blocks of ice, but they just break out. <laughs> so I don't know if that was intentional to be like never works in the comics let's not make it work here either <laughs> oh that's funny <laughs> so they start playing rough with this robot guy uh, Warren smacks him upside the head with some sort of oh with the the, the pool uh, the thing you bounce off in the pool <laughs> the diving board the diving board yeah words fail me and falling into the pool warren ices the whole pool which freezes the guy into the water they're all celebrating like yeah we did it now let's go get those girls while we call the police (laughs) maybe terry gets off on ice too now i'm thinking that that must have meant something different in 1978 because they'll say this two more times in this issue (laughs) Maybe Terry gets off on ice, too. Like, what is he thinking? Like, I can make things out of ice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he doesn't get to make anything out of ice for Terry because the thing that they froze in the pool grows to a huge size and bursts out of the pool. Chathoom! And it's a sentinel! Something tells me this isn't an ordinary sentinel. The mutant hunting sentinels first appeared in X-Men number 14, remember? Very astute, Iceman. For I am Master Mold, Sentinel Supreme. And that was the first time I was like, whoa, we haven't seen Master Mold in a while. And I was too. I was like, whoa, this big splash panel, and it looks like Master Mold. It doesn't look like they've done any modifications to him. This is awesome. And then this is also where I was like, could it be? May it be? The tie-in that I've been looking for? Well, we got to read on (laughs) to find out. Actually, we don't. It is totally the tie-in I was looking for. (laughs) (laughs) And it's his sacred uh, destiny to rid the Earth of all mutants. Which he starts to do with Bobby and Warren. Uh, Warren manages to escape his grasp, but... And and Iceman does some weird power that I don't fully comprehend. Um, Let's see, what does he say? You're actually absorbing the heat out of the very air like a super pump. Absorbing the heat. Yeah, so, like, that doesn't make any sense because if he's absorbing the heat, then he wouldn't be able to generate ice. I don't really know. Well, the ice does seem to be breaking off of him. Yeah. And then that leaves him vulnerable to his Friggy Blast. You wouldn't <laughs> think that that, that uh, Iceman would ever be vulnerable to a Friggy Blast, regardless of whether he was in human or ice form. I just don't like that Master Mold refers to it as a Friggy Blast. <laughs> and then, How ironic. The Iceman felled by the cold. So shall all the mutants of the world fall. First, the Iceman. Next, the A. <laughs> Trying to escape won't help you, Angel. There is nowhere on the face of the planet you can hide from me. And they take off, and that's... Uh, well, Warren Angel says, I had to lure him away from the girls just in case. And then he was... At some point, he remembers, wait a minute, I'm right. I'm only about 100 miles from Gamma Base, and I was just watching TV, and the Hulk's at Gamma Base, 
and I'm totally going to take this this master mold to Gamma Base. So here's where I still think that Terry's like not doesn't know a doesn't know that Iceman was even there or that Bobby is Iceman because they come out and and Candy's like, oh my god, a Sentinel must have grabbed Bobby, and now it's after Warren. And Terry's like, gee, I can see why he'd go after Warren, but why would anybody want Bobby? Not like, oh my god, he's the Iceman. I really get off on ice. <laughs> well, she hasn't seen the Iceman yet, but... Well, that's what I'm saying, like... Maybe when she goes downstairs and sees all the ice, maybe she'll be like, hmm, was Iceman here? No, she'd be like, wow, Angel can make ice too? I really get off on ice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, so yeah, he he does fly to the military base that the Hulk is at, and they go through some and and meet some planes, and the planes almost crash into the master mold. And uh, Stock Samson's like, "Who authorized the use of the klaxons? I ordered silence. You want to wake the Hulk? <laughs> I made it." <sighs> The angel, isn't it? Lord Almighty, man, you look awful. What's wrong? He's uh, uh, coming. No uh, time. Who's coming? Take your time, son. Get away from him. And that's when Master Mold comes down and blasts everybody. And that's, uh, he's, he, he knocks Warren unconscious and is about to take him away. And uh, Doc Sampson attempts to attack the Sentinel, but or the Master Mold, but then flies away right past Hulk, who's like, "What all this noise?" Yeah, and so the Master Mold opens up a little chest cavity and sticks Angel into it, and then he kicks a wall, which seems to be an accident. Oh no, I guess it's not a, an accident. He kicks he kicks down a building when Hulk threatens uh, Master Mold. Well, Master Mold uh, calls Hulk a little man, and and Hulk's like, whoa, 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 whoa. what? <laughs> <laughs> this is the Hulk you're talking to, right? A, I'm not a man, and B, I am not little. Hulk smash. <laughs> what is this? First, robot smashes Hulk's friend. Then Robot tries to smash Hulk, and now Hulk is wet again. <laughs> Poor Hulk. No one does that to Hulk. Hulk, wait! Hulk leaps up to the Sentinel or Master Mold and grabs him by the foot. Doc Samson goes after him but isn't able to do it, and that's when we get our General Thunderbolt Ross cameo who shows up and he's like, Holy cow, what did I miss? <laughs> uh, you shouldn't excite yourself. You were just released from the hospital recuperating from a blow from the Hulk, see Hulk 226, and your ribs haven't fully healed. So we don't even really get to... I guess he's sticking up over the Jeep class, maybe? Yeah. Hang my ribs. Samson, are you all right? I think so, sir. And that's when we get the Hulk hanging on to the to Master Mold as Master Mold flies into space. Master Mold is impressed by the Hulk. Uh, his unlimited stamina, yeah. stamina, even. But it won't work. Work, robot, the Hulk is too strong for you. Do you hear, Hulk, robot? Do you... What? Why can't Hulk speak? Why? Because he's in space, but luckily the Hulk has grabbed a, a good enough grip that even though he kind of... Uh, does he fall unconscious? It does. I guess he doesn't fall unconscious. He just... He can't breathe freely. Well, he says... His question fades away as the last atoms of oxygen in the man-monster's lungs are exhausted. For not even the rampaging Hulk can breathe freely in space. I guess he does fall unconscious. Oh. I think it's a conclusion that one could draw, but 
whatever. But he's got such like he's managed to uh, punch holes into Master Mold's uh, foot, which gives him some good handholds. So he's he's able to hold on. I like this panel uh, a lot. This next one of Master Mold flying towards his space base, which is basically carved out of a chunk of asteroid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good perspective. I don't know a lot of good detail here. Classic John Byrne. I like it a lot. So he is, uh, in fact, heading towards his space base. And once in his space base, he puts uh, the mutants, or so he thinks, into their appropriate tubes. Iceman and Iceman's Angel and Angels, Hulk and Blobs. Well, because he didn't have a Hulk tube. Well, right, and that's fine. And he's like, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I have the Hulk who turned green, even though he doesn't <laughs> register as a mutant. I'll put him in here anyways. Yeah, it's like, what, what am I, what am I going to do? I, I got the Hulk. I might as well throw him in a tube. He's kind of a mutant. He's not a human. If if I don't put him in a tube, he's going to get on my nerves. Yeah. Angel wakes up and he's like, where are we? Who are you? And and why are you, what are you really and why? So many questions, Angel. I might answer were it not so satisfying to keep you in the dark. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Iceman wakes up and is like, pinch me somebody. Unless I'm asleep, I'm hearing a sentinel laugh. Hulk wakes up and immediately bursts out of the Blob's cage. Oh yeah, Hulk smash. <laughs> this is made for the Blob, not the Hulk. Yeah, it's like paper mache to the Hulk. You know, Hulk never once says Hulk smash. He doesn't. <laughs> As he's smashing his tube, he inadvertently smashes Angel's tube, letting him out. And I wish Warren would say, way to go, Hulk! But he doesn't. No. At this point... Have they? Was the Hulk ever on Iceman and Angel's team as a champion? No. No? So that's the defenders you're thinking of. Oh, okay. All right. So that's later. All right. Uh, so Angel lets Iceman out, and they go looking for Master Mold. And the Hulk just starts smashing stuff. We get a little call back to Hulk number 172, in which uh, Iceman says that the professor once told him that he even gave the juggernaut a run, run for his money. That's true. Yep. We did that issue. We did. It all connected, everybody. <laughs> that was episode 74 or maybe 73, Adam. <laughs> it would be cooler if you were sure of that number, Adam. I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> 73. Okay. Uh, Hulk is Hulk really would like to have some words with the robot, so he's coming towards him. Yeah, he Angel and... Iceman kind of just want to leave, mm-hmm. but Hulk's like, uh-uh, I, I, I got to find the robot and smash him. Here he does say, Hulk must smash that robot. And when he says that, that's when Angel and Iceman realize that they're in orbit, and they're wondering now, how do they get back to Earth? So they're going to go off, um, I don't know, look for an escape pod maybe? <laughs> yeah. Bobby, keep him out of trouble. I'll look for a way off this thing. You want me to do what? <laughs> Hulk says, bah. <laughs> and so they go after Master Mold. And Angel's looking around. Technology, this place is unbelievable. Unless I miss my guess, is the power core for a fusion reactor. Wow. <laughs> exactly. Angel went to school. <laughs> well, Hulk and Iceman find Master Mold after bursting through a bunch of walls. And uh, he's apparently got his, let's see, what does he say here? And from the looks of that screen, he's got a king-sized version of Cerebro at work. So Master Mold has his own mutant finder. Robot! 
<laughs> Keep it down, Hulk. He'll hear. Get your cold hands off, Hulk, little man. Hulk told you he doesn't care if a robot hears him. And Hulk doesn't need your help to fight. So Hulk... Wow, he really... He just smashes into his back. Which crashes into his Vizzy screen. Severe lower back damage there. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to go see a chiropractor. What? Who dares attack the Master Mold? The Hulk. And the Hulk and uh, Master Mold fight. Uh, Hulk is really holding his own against Master Mold, ripping off pieces of Master Mold. Yeah, he rips off his foot in order to make it so that he can't stand. He gets zapped. Well, he, he eventually zaps uh, the Hulk between his two hands, and that's when Hulk is... Uh, he thinks that this should have destroyed, well, disintegrated uh, the Hulk because he uses a million volts of unbridled energy. But the Hulk is okay. He's still breathing, but he's a little unconscious. And that's when Iceman gets to the point and says, All right, what's going on here? Real Sentinels don't laugh or show surprise. Just what the devil are you? And this was the second uh, holy cow of the issue. Yeah. He is indeed a Sentinel. Uh, but he was not always so. Before he died, he was a man named Stephen Lang. Whoa! Oh my god! Just before he was killed in X-Men number 100, he put on a helmet and transferred his knowledge or something into Master Mold! Well, yeah, it says, I pulled myself from the wreckage, and before I died, I transferred my brain... The Master Mold circuited deviated too much from Bolivar Trass' original designs, and I did not merely activate the Master Mold. As I breathed my last, I became the Master Mold. Whoa! And that's when Angel shows up and says, Baloney! When the S.H.I.E.L.D. boys reclaim their orbital platform, they found Lang. He's still alive in a government hospital, a mindless vegetable. Whatever you may be, you're not Stephen Lang! That cannot be my mind, my memories, our langs. I must be him. I must. Hulk doesn't care who you are, robot. Hulk will smash you just the same. Well, I guess he does say Hulk smash. Holy crap, and Hulk just in a four-panel montage here just rips and tears and shreds and shows no mercy, and Master Mold is all sorts of messed up. It's just four panels of Hulk's fists and little pieces of Master Mold. It's pretty cool. And then the next panel, like basically the right half or the left half, I suppose, of him is just ripped into pieces. Yeah. And that's when uh, Iceman's like, okay, can we go now? Bah, Hulk might as well go. Robot will not bother Hulk again. But as they leave, the hand of Master Mold springs to life. And as they're getting into a uh, escape pod, much like in Star Wars. A uh, Master Mold shows up on a busy screen and says, Mutant escape is impossible. I have jammed all emergency capsules. If I am to die a robot, you shall die too. I have got, I have to, I have set the fusion reactor to overload. Robot. (laughs) And Angel's like, come on, let's get in the escape pod. And Hulk's like, no, robot must be smashed. That's when Iceman throws a snowball at him. A lot of snowballs at him. Or actually, in this next panel, it kind of looks like a bunch of ice penises. But (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Which gives the desired reaction of forcing the Hulk to kick the uh, escape pod out into space, hopefully towards Earth. 
And Hulk is like, whoa, Hulk did not think this through. Now I'm being sucked out into space. I must breathe. And he's holding on to the platform as the air's rushing out of the escape pod exit. And then we flip over to the escape pod, which is tumbling and twirling and careening towards Earth. And Iceman is trying to keep the the craft cold by freezing everything inside of it so that they don't melt upon impact. And uh, right before they are about to splash down the retro rocket's fire and slowing them down enough so that they're not smashed on the water. Yes, indeed. And as they escape from their escape pod, uh, Iceman whips up, whips up an ice raft that they get onto. Yeah, but what about the Hulk? And then they look up and there's an explosion. The entire, the, the Master Mold's uh, uh, asteroid fortress is gone. They call it a planetoid here, but asteroid seems to be more appropriate. The Hulk. Oh, my God. He was still up there. There's there's no way he could have survived that blast. Well, I hope he at least got in a few more licks in on Master Mold before the end. He would have wanted to, Warren. Are you rocking the raft? <laughs> if this raft's rocking, don't come and knock it. Oh, wait, it's just, it's the Hulk. The Hulk actually was uh, held onto the fuselage or the bulkhead or whatever. Why don't you help Hulk out of water? <laughs> I, ah, stupid floor came loose in Hulk's hand and Hulk fell. So he held onto the escape chamber or the escape pod and, they were, well, we're glad you made it, green guy. And, oh, don't you want to get back to the desert? You promised your friends that you were going to get better. You remember? Hulk's like, oh, yeah, friends, Jim, gotta go see Jim. Bye-bye. Hulk is not very large in this scene. <laughs> no, he's not, actually. He's just maybe a foot taller than Iceman. Yeah. And so Hulk goes bounding off of the ice uh, uh, raft and heads back to the desert, presumably. Uh, Iceman and uh, Angel hope that Doc Samson's plan works out for him. Speaking of uh, places in the sun, they had better head back to the mountains to see if the girls are okay. And uh, We still have to find out if Terry Sue gets off on ice. <laughs> that is, if Candy hasn't killed her by now, Iceman thinks, why me, Lord? Why me? And I don't understand that at all. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> He's like, why, is, why isn't this girl into me? It's not fair. I hope she gets off on ice. <laughs> so this issue, for me, ties into X-Factor. I think it's X-Factor number 14 where Cyclops goes, the spoilers, <laughs> where Cyclops goes back to Anchorage to find Madeline Pryor and his son, but can't find them because they've been taken by the Marauders. And he, he like, the whole town has been erased of the their knowledge of Madeline Pryor and the baby. And so Cyclops starts losing it and he thinks maybe they didn't exist after all. Maybe I was crazy. Maybe I did make it all up. And meanwhile, Master Mold has, has, has fallen from that orbital platform into the water and is laid in the, off the coast of Alaska. And then I think like a power line or something like gets caught on him, which kind of electrifies him, which gives him enough energy to start rebuilding himself. And so he kind of puts himself together as like this Franken master mold out of a boat and anything he can find as he looks for one of the 12, which he identifies Cyclops as. And then Cyclops is like, He's like fighting against the demons that are Madeline and his baby, but but in reality he's fighting Master Mold. But I don't know if he really realizes that he's fighting Master Mold. 
Uh, he doesn't have his costume. He doesn't have the rest of X Factor. He's just got his glasses and he's lifting them up and shooting them and stuff. And finally, as he destroys Master Mold, he finds a baby rattle behind a radiator in the house that has just blown up. And he's like, they were real. They were real. And that's how the issue ends. Wow. You... That's a fantastic. How many times did you read that? <laughs> oh man, I've read I've read that entire run of like one through twenty four, twenty five, like four or five times. That that's just and that particular issue is just so well written. Does he still think he's Stephen Lang? Uh, no, none of that comes out. I mean, there's for for as good as this issue was, there's a little bit of campness in it. I mean. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It was still '70s when they wrote this particular issue, but yeah, yeah it was it was fun though. It was I liked it a lot. Yeah, I was kind of dreading it because I'm like, well, Adam wants me to read it. It's an annual <laughs> and it's Hulk. Like, all right, but yeah, it was a it was a very quick read. And what I'm wondering almost is like that particular annual issue potentially suffers from what the Archon issue suffers from, which is I'll bet you the issues that these that this falls uh, between. It's probably like it leaves off in the desert with the Hulk at that base. And the very next issue is going to pick up with Doc Sampson trying to treat Hulk. Right. So, like, this issue doesn't necessarily matter in the whole continuity of Hulk. But from it, another story was born much later. Right. Yeah. And then further on down in Uncanny X-Men, I don't know, 247 or 248, Master Mold will return... um, the same, this same master mold, and he's still in pieces, trying to put himself back together, hunting mutants. So that's cool. So there you go, folks. So much less exciting were uh, Iron Man 114 and 115, and uh, Captain America 224, in which let's see, uh, Iron Man is attempting to retire, revive the Unicorn, for some reason. I guess it's one of he's got lame villains. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, and he, the beast is there to help him out. Uh, and a couple of the Avengers are there and they end up all getting attacked by some mysterious villain named Arsenal who shows up and then disappears and they're unable to revive the unicorn and then, and uh, revive the unicorn. And it turns out that Iron Man's girlfriend uh, is secretly Madame mask, the leader of the Magia who is also Count Nefaria's daughter. Oh. And um, Tony Stark goes back to his mansion to make sure she's okay because he, has, he hasn't seen her in a couple days. And he gets attacked by the Animen. Remember them? I do. Frogman and Birdman and Stupid Man. And... <laughs> <laughs> They're Frausch. I thought that they were, they were dead or something. Oh, apparently not. Apparently they're still working for... Now they're working for Count Nefaria's daughter, not Count Nefaria. Oh, because Count Nefaria is really dead this time, right? No. Oh. Uh, as you recall, I did a story with Count Nefaria recently where he got really, really old. Yeah. Well, apparently uh, he was being kept in some sort of stasis by Iron Man. Oh. And now at the end of Iron Man 115, she, uh, Madame Mask wants Tony Stark to, to fix uh, Count Nefaria and, and bring him out of his stasis wow and that's where that issue leaves off but i'm not going to continue because beast doesn't have any appearances in iron man 116 okay i I might still read it but it won't appear on this show okay uh captain america 224 was really not very good somebody changed cap's face and dyed his hair so he doesn't recognize himself he doesn't have any memory but then he regains his memory he goes to the avengers he freaks out the avengers are like hey hey buddy uh, Beast f- 
somehow proves that it's Cap by throwing his shield at him. Um, it turns out that it, it has something to do with some sort of war, and uh, Cap's trying to remember. Well, was it World War One or World War Two? Or was it Vietnam? I was in that a little bit recently, and it was like, no, wait, the most recent, the most recent war I was in was the Mad Bomb War, and I'm like, what? <laughs> well, what's the Mad Bomb War? I don't know. I couldn't even figure it out from this issue. Oh, but uh, yeah, the Mad Bomb War, and uh, the Tarantula shows up, and Cap beats him, and that's it. That's about it. Nice. So that's all. That's all the extraneous reading i did this week Ooh, is that the name of your little segment now extraneous reading no probably not no. i'm not even sure if i use that word correctly <laughs> all right well uh good times um anything else you want to add adam add adam <laughs> so that's what i like to do an addendum uh, yes yeah, so would you like to do it and no 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 stay frosty x fans <laughs> and until next time the danger room is closed Turn all her mother's pains and benefits to laughter and contempt, that she may feel how sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child.